You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schliff. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. I want to thank you all for tuning in once again. Before we get started with the regular scheduled programming, just want to get some preliminaries out of the way. First of all, thank you to everybody who's been jumping in the Facebook group. The, uh, the group is slowly getting a little bit bigger. But most of all, the participation is, is pretty awesome. I've got other groups for other things, and uh, there's another group with, I don't know, like 4,000 people, and there's not nearly the participation as there are in the Packernet uh, Facebook group. So be sure to get in there if you're listening to the podcast, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Packernet pod, or just search Packernet podcast. I am confident you'll find it. Also make sure that you get over to nflbigboard.com. It's going to be a real good resource for you as we get a little bit closer to the draft. Another really good resource for you, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy for as little as a buck a month. That's all you got to put down. You can check out my positional rankings. Again, what I've done is taken the PFF grades, which I'm calling film, their advanced stats, which would be production, their strengths the schedule, which is looking at how, you know, what school they went to, in other words, the bigger school you go to, a little bit more of a bonus you have, as well as their relative athletic score to look at their athleticism. I weight all those things to what I think makes sense, and I come out with my positional rankings. But beyond that, as I've said, even if you don't like my methodology, it's completely chock full of grades and stats, which is a really good resource come draft day, so be sure to check that out. Even if you want to just do it for the month to get the, uh, the sheets before the draft and then drop it, that's completely fine. iTunes reviews are up to 131. We're making a little bit of headway. It's going to be a photo finish. You need 19 more reviews, and it's locked in. I already found a software that I want to use. I have streaming software, but I found one that I think could be pretty awesome. If I want to get a little extra fancy, I don't know. I'm thinking about starting the process of reaching out to see if there's anybody that maybe wants to join in. Special guest kind of stuff. But either way, if you want to make sure that we can lock this uh, live stream in, Um, As I said, if we get to 150 reviews, it's a done deal. So 19 more and it's done. We can, again, we can get it done today. There's more than enough of you to just say, fine, I'll do the the review and we'll get this over with. And and again, make sure that you uh, send me some proof that you sent in a review. And when we get to 200 iTunes reviews, one of y'all is going to get a PFF subscription. Now, we're not going to get there in time for you to get the... um, the 2019 draft guide but it's good for a year which means come 2020 you're not so you're not only going to get all the stats for the 2019 nfl season you're going to have the 2020 um scouting guide or whatever so be sure to get your name in let's uh, work our way through 150 get up to 200 see if we can't get you a pff subscription 
Finally, if you'd like to call in with a question or if you want to get something off your chest, uh, 608-501-0718 is the phone number to call, 608-501-0718. We're going to get into this little mishmash of a day we got here right after this little commercial break. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, so I am uh, I'm 100% ready to move forward and move past all the silliness. If there are any questions and comments about it, that's fine. We'll get to it, and I do want to get to one of those today, probably like now-ish. But just as a general rule, I, I want to say, and again, I, I, we can refer back to this if it becomes relevant, but I'm beyond tired of it already. I mean, the draft is 45 seconds away, and I'm supposed to sit here and worry about some catty nonsense. And Greg Jennings' response to the response to the response, which I got to be honest, I watched it, and I, the whole time I'm listening to him, it's like, man, I keep defending the guy. And every time I defend somebody, I feel like they just turn around and punch me right in the face. Because that was just dumb. Didn't even make any sense. But I'd say, I'm not going there. Doesn't even matter because I'm not talking about it today. Because Greg Jennings hasn't been on this team in a long time. Greg Jennings isn't going to help us win a Super Bowl this year. And I'd rather talk about things that are exciting, like how the Packers are going to win the Super Bowl this year. If that's okay with you, that's where I'd like to head. Also, one of the the big things, I don't really think it's big news, but it's one of the big things making the rounds. It's weird that we're this close to the draft, and it feels like we're in peak off season. Like, any random thing happens, it's like, we got to talk about it a lot. It's like, no, man, who cares? Draft, 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 draft. You want stuff to talk about about the draft? I mean, dude, draft. But Aaron Rodgers' injury last year, um, not really going to comment on that either because it seems, well, I mean, I'm not qualified, first of all, but it seems a little... I don't know about that. I'm not saying he's lying. I'm just saying the general idea that he had two injuries that should have sidelined him for about a half a year to an entire year happened at the same time, and he came back and just played after like a couple quarters and then played the rest of the year. I don't know. I mean, granted, he was pretty doped up in the locker room to come back in that game, but how does he come back next week? And beyond that, I didn't see a whole lot of limited mobility. Again, I'm not saying he's lying. I'm just saying maybe there's, like, levels or degrees to those injuries, and his were relatively minor. Something. 
because it just doesn't really make sense. And I know it's it's it feels like the right thing to do to say, well, guess who's a really good leader? And yeah, I mean, the fact that he came back, I think, kind of proves that point. I'm just saying, you know, it would be like if he just snapped his leg in half, and then he came back and played, and he's like, well, guess who's a good leader? It's like, you're right. He is a very good leader. But I'll tell you right now, maybe his leg didn't get snapped in half, because that seems kind of physically impossible. But again, I don't know what the reality is. All I know is people are saying, this is what happened, this is what happens when that happens, and then that thing that's supposed to happen after that fact, you know, Y didn't exactly follow X. It's like, okay, well, then I'm missing a piece of this puzzle, and as a non-doctor, I'm more than happy to just say, I don't know. Dude got hurt, played through a lot of pain. That's awesome. Hopefully, without all that pain, he'll be able to make some, you know, better decisions I, I don't I don't see and that's the other thing I don't really understand is how to make that work in my brain but again I'm just gonna leave it alone because it doesn't matter it's kind of irrelevant Aaron Rodgers is definitely tough no question about that it looked like it hurt real bad when he got hit in that Bears game and I bet it did real bad and who knows how here's how about this I'm convinced in that interview all right early dance party what's going on now I'm convinced that he was doped up. I know that's like a joke and stuff. I'm pretty sure. I mean, that, that dude's eyes were... Whoa. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? My knee. You know, that moment. Maybe he had kind of a, a Brett Favre year and just kind of popping a bunch of pain pills, not because he's addicted, but because, you know, leg was severed or something. And he was like eating Oxy tacos before the game. And that made him a little bit fuzzy. And, uh, you know, when you're doped up on uh, Oxycontin and Benadryl and steak tacos, I don't know why Benadryl, but, you know, hey, it's it's a party, right? Maybe it just makes you not want to hit the check down. I, I'm just spitballing here. But again, don't know, don't care, not a doctor. Sounds pretty crazy. Moving on. But anyways, before we completely move on, I want to get to a, uh, a quick voicemail that I got. This here is from Mr. Matt. I wanted to give you my thoughts. Uh, this is Matt, by the way. Just wanted to give you uh, my thoughts on what's kind of transpired over the uh, past couple days with Rodgers and McCarthy. Um, I've been trying to look at this in the most positive light I can, and I really think that this will be good. I really think that um, you know the initial or the public response to everything that's that's came out has been that uh, Rodgers is not a good leader. Rodgers is kind of cynical towards the old coaching staff. But I really think that this will uh, unify the team behind Rodgers because Rodgers is the only person left in this uh, little debate, you know, between him and McCarthy. Rodgers is the only person that's left on the team. And I really think the team, as well as Rodgers, are all going to unify after this. I think this is a great opportunity for Rodgers to look in the mirror and kind of reassess his leadership skills. And I have to say that after all this negative energy that comes out of this, I really think that this is kind of like a closing of the book here, you know, next chapter to be written. And I think Rodgers and the team come out better. I think Rodgers becomes a better leader after all this. And I'm just wondering if you agree. Thanks a lot, man. Have a good one. Thank you, Mr. Matt. Well, as always, my expert opinion is I don't know. But um, I did actually have a pretty similar thought when I was listening to the Wildey and Tausch interview. And I think at the end of the day, as much as I think the general perception is that Rodgers just doesn't care and he's going to shrug off all this stuff and he's just going to go on and do what he does, 
I think he's pretty receptive to this stuff. I know last year when he was calling out wide receivers, he basically was saying, you know, I'm to a point in my career where I'm just not going to take this stuff anymore. In other words, that was sort of a change in philosophy for him. And as much as I don't think he's going to just take the advice of Greg Jennings, for example, I think it's entirely possible that he recognizes the potential that he has to kind of impact things, even in really minor ways, both positive and negative, right? I mean, just, just simple stuff like body language, how that can just completely throw off an entire game. I mean, even, even the fan base, we'd watch a game, he'd be moaning and groaning and pouting and eye-rolling within 30 seconds, and it's like, well, this game is shot. And look, I, 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 I think uh, I only caught the second hour because I, I didn't realize the, the, uh, the interview was going on live, so I caught the second hour of it. And I'm going to have to listen to it again. I, I, I had a hard time understanding what exactly he was saying. But he got me real excited because right out of the gate in the second hour of that interview, it almost sounded like right out of the gate he's trying to inspire sort of a, you know, run the table kind of comment. Now I've said, and this is the good thing, I've already said that he doesn't do those things just to inspire the team. He's just telling us what he sees. And that's kind of what's awesome about him saying what he said. And I wish I had some audio, can, can remember exactly what he said. But it was something to the effect of, you know, people say there's a honeymoon period and that things are going to take time. And he said, I, I, and I know this sounds crazy because it's only been one day. He said, but I think we're close. The last time he said, I think we're close, was following his run the table comment. In other words, I'm telling you, I can see something. He gave me chills when he said it. Maybe I'm completely taking him out of context because it was kind of weird and I was expecting, you know, Wildy or Tausch and I can never tell which one's which. I think the guy that talks a lot that I assume is Tausch is never Tausch, but they both have kind of like high-pitched voices and it's hard to tell. I don't know what's going on. But I wanted him to kind of push it and like, whoa, wait, what do you, what do you mean? Like, you, like, things are awesome and they just like moved on and it's like, no, talk about that for literally an hour. I want to hear you talk about how awesome this team is forever. Do it for a week and I will just sit there and listen to it. No, I'm not going to put it into my veins. Dumb saying. But yeah, I want it. I want it bad. I need it right now. But my, my thought on that was, even if he's being honest, and I have no reason to believe he's not, because he always is. Say whatever you want about Aaron Rodgers. I can't point to one time when I think he's just been lying to us for the sake of, of good or bad, right? If he calls out the offense, I think it's because he... And, and, and you know, again, yes, he has called himself out. It's not like he's always blaming other people. He's blamed himself. He said, I was not good enough today. He just says what he believes, and maybe he's not exactly accurate. But if he thinks the wide receivers are the problem, he says it. If he thinks the offense in general, i.e. McCarthy, is the problem, he says it. If he thinks he was the problem, the defense is the problem, he's going to say it. If he just thinks the other team was better, he's just going to say that. And, and, you know, again, the reason when he said relax, things got better is because he looked at this team is really good compared to the fan base's reaction, and he said, well, this doesn't line up, guys, relax. It's early. We're going to be fine. And we were. Run the table comment was not him saying, man, if I just say some magic words, everybody's going to play real good and then we're going to be good. No, that's not what it was. He legitimately has been waiting for something to click and it clicked. And he said, I think we can run the table. And we did. They did. We did. Whatever. I say what I want. Say we if we want to say we. I want to say we. We can say we. We can say we and you can say we and we can say you. Redfish, bluefish. But even with all that, it's like, it felt a little premature, and I couldn't help but think, I wonder if this is Rogers maybe doing something slightly out of character. Again, not that he's lying. I don't think he's lying. But I think 
and, and he did preface it by saying it was premature, but I, I think maybe he recognizes this is premature and also recognizes this is a great opportunity to kind of get out and maybe fluff it a little bit, to get on the radio and really kind of inspire his guys to say, look, something special is happening here. Because maybe he does realize the importance of, and, and listen, I know this is a lot of maybes, but you also have to understand I'm a podcaster and I don't have Aaron Rodgers' phone number. So there's going to be some maybes sometimes. I speculate. That's what I do. But looking at Matt's question, I'll say that that did cross my mind. That maybe he recognizes the importance of getting it right, making sure that, especially with all the nonsense going on, they they need a push in the other direction. They need something to galvanize the team and to bring the team together. And he has a great opportunity to get on the radio and not only dismiss all the nonsense, but at the, the top of the second hour, when we move on from all the rumors and all the garbage, I'm going to start off by saying how much I believe in this team. And it's funny because the, the radio folks, Wilde and Tausch, right after he makes this amazing declaration that he thinks, quote-unquote, we're close, which gets me super jacked, they decide they want to pivot to Jordy Nelson. And I love Jordy, and that's awesome. But, dude, again, why did you have to pivot off of that? But they pivot to Jordy Nelson, and Rodgers gives all the credit in the world to Jordy Nelson, even says if he comes back, going to be dynamite. And I don't disagree with that. Again, I don't think he's lying. I've said all along, I don't think Jordy Nelson's talent was necessarily his talent, although he was talented, especially in his day. I think at this point in his career, it's just that chemistry, and that's not going anywhere. But after Aaron Rodgers gives his homage to Jordy Nelson, he pivots that to Devontae, right? He keeps turning it back to the 2019 Green Bay Packers. And again, I don't think he was lying, because he said he, 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 he said he's never had chemistry like he had with Jordy, and that's correct. And he could have easily lied and said, oh, I don't know, it's kind of like that with Devontae. Now, that would be a lie, and we'd all know it. But he said, this guy, Devontae, is special. And I think that's true as well. And I don't know if he specifically said it, that he's never had a talent like this before. But thinking back on it, I, I don't really know that we have. Greg Jennings was great in his own right. Jordy Nelson was great in terms of the chemistry. I think Randall Cobb was, was real good in, in certain facets. James Jones, I mean, Donald Driver was one of my favorites ever. I remember I hated Greg Jennings because Greg Jennings took Donald Driver's spot and pushed Donald Driver into the slot because Donald Driver used to be the big play guy. I don't know if you remember that or not. For a very brief period of time, he was lined up outside and got all the big plays. Jennings comes out, takes that spot, kicks Driver inside, and starts getting all the big plays. I hated Jennings for that. Like, stop stealing the spotlight from my guy Driver. But I don't remember specifically, and again, I didn't have a podcast, I was a little bit more casual, I mean, I've always been a super diehard Packer fan, again, like, first grade getting into arguments with my teachers about Packers versus Bears, while I wore my Packers jacket and my Packers backpack and my Packers shoes and my Packers shirt to school. I've always been diehard, I just don't know if I really analyzed it as much as just kind of kickbacked and watched wins versus losses. But just the ability to dominate... I think is a, a special characteristic of Devontae Adams that I don't know that anybody else had. In other words, I don't care who's across from me, how fast you are, how big you are, he just wins. And that's that's a different kind of thing. Does he have the chemistry with Rodgers? Not exactly. Does he have the speed of a lot of these other guys? No. Does he have the size and the jump ball ability? No. But again, that ability to just dominate, to just win on his routes, to just be better in that moment than the other guy. Devontae is real, and he's, he's getting better every year. I don't know if he's peaked or when he's going to peak, but last year was just out of this war. And, you know, a lot of his, I'm not just talking about his stats. I know his stats are because Rodgers just kept throwing to him. I'm just talking about his talent and ability out of this world. 
And again, Rodgers kind of pivoted to that. So yeah, I, I as I'm listening to Rodgers, it felt like maybe he was, you know, not changing, but wanting to recognize his the important position he had at that moment to be the leader that is going to inspire his team while he has that radio slot. Because it is important. I mean, there is this honeymoon period. This is the moment when everybody starts to come together. And, you know, similar to fans, how you get excited in the offseason, like we're going to be special, we're going to be this. That all comes to an end for every team when you smack into the guy across from you and you realize that, you know what, the offense isn't going to move quite as efficiently as I thought. The defense isn't going to be as dominant as I thought. The other team is actually pretty good too. But we need to get hyped up as much as we can, as quick as we can, because things can get spiraled out of control negatively as well. So we we, we got to use the time that we have to really uh, to really get fired up. And yeah, and, and you know, again, I don't think that this is going to be life changing. I don't know that it's even going to be necessarily that noticeable um, that he's embracing the leadership role, so to speak. But I think to some degree, again, I think he has to take some of this to heart. And even with the Greg Jennings stuff, as silly as he thinks it is, you know. There has to be a part of him that recognizes, okay, I guess I can't make jokes uh, around some of these wide receivers because then they're just going to, you know, be off the rest of the season, which essentially is what Greg Jennings just admitted to. Like, he kind of just gave up the rest of the year because it's like, well, they don't want me here, and I don't want to be here, and I don't feel like I'm a part of the team and all this stuff and whatever. And listen, as a competitor, as much as Rodgers might be a guy that just says, I don't want to have to baby you, I want you to man up and do your job, I think you know, just intellectually, he has to recognize that he has an impact on these guys. That if he praises them, they'll respond better. And if he talks positively about the team, they'll respond better. And if he starts pouting and being negative, then they start to respond negatively. And as much as, yeah, he's right, they shouldn't be that way, they are. I mean, he has a team in which even the defense gives up when he doesn't play well, because it's Rodgers or bust. So embrace it, man. But we'll see. I mean, so far, so good. And maybe it's just a peek behind the curtain, and this is how Rodgers always is, I don't know. But I think we can be confident that the idea that Aaron Rodgers is just going to be cold and aloof and cruel and all this stuff to his teammates, I think that's nonsense. And if he was doing it in the past, I don't see him doing it anymore, but I don't think he was doing it in the past. Anyways, Matt, thanks a lot for uh, for calling in. I want to get to uh, Andy's phone call. Andy, once again, he calls in quite a bit. He had several things to say. One of the first ones... He asked about possibly using a six-man offensive line like Seattle does. If I had to guess, and I I fully understand, I think we should try it because I think we should try a lot of things. And if we did, it could because in the full context of this, he was, you know, referencing back to me saying that, you know, to his last questions, I mentioned Jonah Williams would be a good fit. And he said, if we did get a guy like Jonah Williams, what would be kind of cool to try is maybe a six-man offensive line. Although I think Jonah would kick in a guard, we still would have somebody, right? Billy Turner, somebody could operate as that sixth offensive lineman. Again, I don't have any problem with trying different stuff, especially for a team that is trying to establish the run to be able to mix that in on occasion. Why not? Do I think we're actually going to do that? I don't, um, only because I don't know of anybody outside of Seattle doing that, especially within not only LaFleur last year, but you look at Shanahan and McVay and, and to my knowledge, I don't know. To my knowledge, nobody else is doing that. And these are all teams that believe strongly in the importance of establishing the run. But yeah, I'd, I'd be very open to that. I mean, it might tip your hand a little bit as far as what the play is, but that's kind of the point, right? As defenses get lighter and lighter, you stick an extra offensive lineman and a bunch of tight ends out there, we might be telegraphing that we're running, which, by the way, you can still throw the ball, but 
I think the ideal thing to do is to just say, yes, we're running. What exactly is it that you think you're going to do about it? For years, you've been drafting, you know, linebackers that are basically safeties. Defensive linemen are getting smaller and smaller so that they can get faster and faster because they're becoming pass rushers. How is it you plan on stopping this? And again, I'm not talking about all the time, but I, I could see where on occasion, maybe a pretty good idea. But again, I, I don't I don't expect that to happen because I don't see anybody outside of Seattle even flirting with that. But we'll see. I think it'd be kind of a cool little wrinkle. And I, and again, I don't know why, especially like in practice, and maybe, maybe teams do try it in practice and it just it is garbage and that's why they're like, nope, we're not doing that in the regular season. Because ultimately with that mentality, you just, I mean, just do zero wide receivers, right? Why not nine offensive linemen, your quarterback and a running back? I mean, there has to be a way and a reason in which it's like, you know what, at some point this just is not helping. But I don't know, whatever. I do think it's a good thought. <laughs> oh, man. So, oh, this is awesome. This this wins everything today. So the second part of Andy's, is, it's not even a question. It's a what grinds my gears, but he, I, I've never heard a better analogy in my life. And this is coming from someone who says a lot of analogies and is quite proud of them, especially since a lot of them allude to food. But this one, uh, this is pretty good. Andy, by the way, I, I love how you just blew past it as though you didn't even realize how spectacular it was. But here's the analogy in reference to... <laughs> I'm sorry, Blaine. In reference to this uh, new rule change in which you can challenge, um, you know, pass interference and whatnot. He says, think of it this way. The football game is sort of like society. And you've got players that are kind of like the citizens. The referees are like police officers. And the challenge is like lawyers who are trying to correct things that the police officers got wrong. He follows that up with, you tell me how it is a society is going to be better with more lawyers. <laughs> oh, he said it better than I did. I don't know why. It was hilarious. But anyways, he quickly blew past that and followed it up with, I think maybe the better idea would be, you know, for example, better police training or just more police. In other words, and, and I've, I've heard this before too, and I do think it makes sense. There, there's two things. First of all, having more is going to be a good thing. And that means more on the field and more up in the booth. If you have a referee in the booth, I don't have a problem with that. We just need more eyes to make sure that obvious stuff like that, somebody's going to see it. I guess there's three things. Number two, training is important. Because apparently, and I didn't really know this, I, th- I, I kind of thought because this is what I was told when I was a kid, so I just went on believing it forever. These are all like retired lawyers and doctors that are referees, meaning this is their full-time job. I had heard recently that's not true. This is like part-time jobs for people. Somebody had said that one of the referees is like a florist or something. So that was surprising. So I, I, I would not be opposed in a league in which we're talking about billions of dollars to pay some referees full-time salaries. And I don't know what referees get paid, but again, pay them enough that they get full-time salaries. And if they don't want to, ha- you know, again, maybe these are doctors or whatever that are supplementing their income and they're not going to give up being a doctor, fine. Then we'll hire new people. I mean, it's not, I, I mean, it can't be a drastic thing like that where we're just going to let everybody leave. It would need to be kind of a slow transition. But, you know, eventually if we can train and have people full-time that even in the off-season, like there's a regimen, like we're training all off-season for, because we just want to make sure we're getting it right. But here's the thing. I think referees do get it right a lot. I'll never be impressed with referees or umpires or whatever as much as I am with, with the guys in baseball 
who are calling balls and strikes, who, by the way, are completely irrelevant at this point now that they have technology, but I'll leave that alone because that's not my sport and that's not my lane, so I'll stay out of it. But man, those guys just, it's crazy how many they get right. But I think the same is true with referees because it's an impossible task. I mean, even on a simple play to be able to watch where their feet are, you know, where their feet are, when their feet, I mean, how do you even in full time know when he gets full possession of the ball and when he gets his feet out of bounds? I don't care how close you are, even in slow motion sometimes. And they end up getting it right more often than we do. Again, granted, they're closer than we are when we're watching on television, but there's so many times it's like, oh, that was a terrible call. Then you watch it in slow-mo and it's like, dude, that, wow, well done. Well done. Which leads me to my other point, number three. We got to acknowledge stuff's just going to get wrong sometimes. And I think that's just kind of the sticking point is that we're never going to be okay with calls being wrong. We just can't accept it. We, we just, we can't. And it's understandable when the call is wrong in the last second of the game in which it determines the outcome of the game. That's really, really bad. And look, if we want to make everything challengeable on the last play of the game, fine. I mean, we'll just do an automatic review on the last play, and if there's any penalties, and we'll just let that last play go on for 10 days. Like, oh, looks like there was a hold there, and there's a this over here, and whatever. But at some point, we got to just throw our hands up and go, that was a terrible call. I'm not happy because we should have won, but that's football. Just because there's no other way to be. We can't fix this. It'll never be fixed. Ever. It can't be. It's impossible to get it perfect. And again, I don't want to rehash this whole thing all over again, but it's not going to be any different when next time a playoff game is lost because, you know, there was a blatant hold or a, a quarterback was hit after he threw and it, you know, it ended up getting picked, but that should have been called back because it was a late hit or, or whatever. I mean, the fact that we pick one kind of play where it's like, well, we can challenge these, but nothing else. Well, there's going to be a blatant call that's missed and there's going to be just as much anger and furor over that. And how do we not make that challengeable? Otherwise, we're just drawing arbitrary lines. Like, well, we'll challenge this, but nothing else. Well, that doesn't even make sense. Well, because usually those are the big plays. Okay, but it wasn't in this case, was it? It was something else that caused a big turn of events. So we need to take that seriously too, correct? Or are we just making up random arbitrary rules because whatever? So that's it. I I, I would agree uh, with the overall premise of more police and better police and uh, less lawyers. I'm fine with that That uh, general thought process. So anyways, thank you a lot, Andy, for uh, for all your questions over these last few days. It really helps in the off-season uh, at times. I know there's been kind of a lot going on lately, but there's been several times and several days where there just is not much going on. So I really appreciate everybody. Again, if you have any questions, if you have any opinions, please feel free. Again, it's a it's just a Google phone number. If you call it, go straight to voicemail so there's no awkwardness or anything like that. If you don't want me to play your voice, you can just text me or just say beforehand, um, hey, don't put this on there. It's all good. Uh, sticking with some of the questions, another way if you want to do it, if you don't want to use the Google Voice thing or whatever, um, you can feel free to leave a question in the Facebook group. Sometimes that gets lost. Um, I mean, I think text messages do at times as well. But I'm, I'm a little bit better at that because there's other posts and sometimes I forget and it gets buried or whatever. But if you'd like to just leave a question in the group, that's also good because you'll have comments instantly and then, you know, maybe I'll get to it. But a question from uh, TK in the Facebook group. And uh, w- one of the things he brought up that maybe we're not acknowledging is how his injuries maybe impacted his, his practicing ability and, and how that maybe 
hurt his ability to get in sync with guys like Jimmy Graham and some of these young wide receivers. And so with that, there's more reason for optimism. And I've laid out several reasons, but I think that's a good point. To, to, even if it's just to a minor extent, the fact of the matter is there was a lot of stuff that just wasn't working. There was a lot of stuff that didn't make sense. I think the way they practiced didn't make sense. The way they prepared didn't make sense. And yeah, if you factor in Aaron Rodgers has an injury, and maybe he's not able to practice as much as you know, you'd like to if he didn't have to rest, all these things come into play. Preparation, how you prepare, and if you are out there practicing is going to really, really help your ability to get in sync with it. I mean, listen, this is all brand new. Jimmy Graham's a veteran, but he's a new receiver. Mercedes Lewis is a veteran, but he's a new receiver. Equinemius is a new receiver. Marquez is a new receiver. Jamon is a new receiver. Kumaro, new receiver. Geronimo is a veteran, but he was out. Devontae's the only guy that he had that understood how to play with Aaron Rodgers. So the, the final sentence that he said here is, I'm optimistic we'll see a lot of second-year improvements with the Packers, and I think there's a lot of reason to expect that. You know, I, do I think Rodgers is going to be better? Yes. Why? Because, well, the injury and, you know, hopefully Lafleur is going to help him out and, and to make things simpler, simpler for him, more exciting for him, whatever. Uh, you, you've got wide receivers who are coming into their second year, and granted it's a new scheme, but it's still a second year in the NFL. It's a second year working together. It's a second year understanding Aaron Rodgers. Uh, there's the reason to believe that the chemistry between Rodgers and EQ, Rodgers and Jamon, Rodgers and, Mar- and Marquez, they're all going to get better. The relationship, the, the understanding, the terminology, how, you know, even, even Rodgers' specific terminology and what he likes to do, that, that's really important. So yeah, b- being healthy and kind of just starting with a little bit more of a firm foundation as opposed to, you know, last year, start trying as hard as you can to just learn the offense but also learn Aaron Rodgers and then you know just everything kind of went poorly so yeah I do think that that's a good reason to be optimistic again as I've said it's not just that we're going to get better because every team gets a little bit better it's the fact that the guys that we need to count on are guys that are you know they they were first year guys we need the wide receivers to step up well they were all rookies there's a lot of reason to believe that at least one of these guys if not several of them are going to get better and Again, hopefully one of them gets a lot better because we really just need one. I mean, I'd love for everybody to just be awesome, but if we can get just one to be really awesome, I'll take that. Another question or, I guess, comment, and I know I said I'm going to move on, but, you know, again, if you've got questions or comments about what had happened in the past, just throw it out there. But this comes from Nico talking specifically about the Greg Jennings comment, and his, his point is, am I the only one that thinks that's kind of funny? He mentions he works in a shop and, and, you know, we basically troll each other 24-7 and nothing is off limits. I mean, that's it's the same thing I got. Pretty much my whole life, the only jobs I've ever had, with the exception of working in restaurants, but even in restaurants I was a busboy and all the bussers are guys. I worked at the airport lugging baggage. That was all guys. I did landscaping. It was all guys. Right? I, I used to push carts for Sam's Club. That's all guys. So, yeah, I, 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 what I'm used to, is working around a bunch of guys, and typically how guys are is a normal conversation, even a polite conversation in which you just want to ask somebody for help. Usually it's going to involve an insult. That's just how we interact. kind of helps keep the peace a little bit, as counterintuitive as that might seem. If somebody leaves something on my desk that isn't mine, rather than just picking it up and saying, hey, man, here you go, you left this over here, I'm probably going to tell him he better come over here and get his trash off my desk or we're going to have a problem. And then he grabs a knife or a, a, an object and says, bring it. And I pick up something, you know, and it, it just, you just kind of laugh about it. 
Well, you try not to laugh, but sometimes it, it sneaks out. So yeah, I, I tend to agree that, that hearing some of this stuff is just kind of baffling because it just sounds so dumb. Like, dude, grow up. And look, maybe they're just not that close because to be honest, I'm only going to do that stuff with people I'm close with. I'm, I'm not going to do that with a guy like if, if Nico showed up at my job and I pick something up and I'm like, yeah, come over here and I'm going to hit you in the head. That might actually lead to a problem because I don't know Nico and Nico doesn't know me. So usually that's just kind of how you interact with people that you're close with, people that you're friends with. I mean, I was real close with my college roommates, and that was that was bad. I think I've referenced it before, but there were times where I would like have a... In my mind, the phone call was, hey, we're going out tonight, you want to come? And I'm like, no, I'm heading out with some other friends, I'll see you later. That's what it sounded like in my head, and then I'd hang up, and the person in the car next to me is like, what just happened? Are you guys okay? What are you talking about? I completely forgot how it is that we just talk to each other on a normal... That I'm just saying, the closer you are, the more you can kind of say stuff like that. So maybe it was just the case that Rodgers and Jennings weren't actually that close. Because if you got a guy that's just messing with you, and you don't get it, and you don't like it, and beyond that, you don't feel comfortable enough to go... And that's the other thing. I mean, it's on one hand, you want to go talk to the guy, but on the other hand, I can't imagine... If somebody cracks a joke about me and then I go up to him and I'm like, look, man, that really hurt my feelings and I just feel it. Eh, that's not going to happen. But yeah, at the same time, I'm also probably not going to go tell my boss that he hurt my feelings or the national media for that matter. So yes, a lot of this is just really confusing to me. And I, I well, whatever. I don't know. I mean, I, I've, I've said it several times. I wish that it was just more of a normal work environment. And there was just an expectation that guys would just show up and do their jobs and there were no weird emotions or anything. But you got a lot of different guys from a lot of different backgrounds with a lot of different ways of being and thinking and talking and acting. And sometimes there's collisions. And you can't just joke and crack jokes about something. And I'm sure there's a lot of that going on in an NFL locker room. I'm sure there's lots of it. But again, you know, you, you got different people that don't really know you and maybe you think you're closer than he thinks and he takes it seriously and he gets mad and then he is off. The, it's just, it's going to be hard to get that many people in one area and not have some kind of conflict. It's just weird that it happened between Jennings and Rogers. And yeah, maybe that's a little bit different because, you know, joking about you being off the team when that means so much to you to be on the team and to be a teammate of Aaron Rodgers or whatever, but... I don't know. I'm I, Again, I kind of agree that it's like, dude, come on, grow up. That's a great opportunity for you to fire back. Like, you know, it's funny. I was thinking the same thing for you, which obviously that's a joke because he's the quarterback and he's not going anywhere. But that's what you do. You just say ridiculous things. Like, I'm not going anywhere. Matter of fact, I heard some people talking, talking about shipping you off. Ha, 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 joke, 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 go get a first down. But I don't know. Again, it's hard to comment on all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes, and I guess I don't care. I just sometimes wish people could just grow up a little bit. You guys you guys have an awesome job. You have all the money you could ever want. Money, fame, success, literally anything that you want your life to be, it can be. If you don't even want your football, your life to be football, you can just leave football because you're probably set for life. By the time Jennings and Rodgers had their little feud, which I don't even think Rodgers knew it was a feud, he was just talking, and Jennings was, you know, over there twitching in the huddle expecting Rodgers to pick up on his, you know, mental telepathy that he was sad about that comment. But at that point in their careers, I feel like either one of them could have said, I don't like football anymore, walked off the field, went on to go live on a beach somewhere, sipping pina coladas and eating tacos, 
Because if that's what you want your life to be, that's what it can be. Because you have an advantage that literally nobody else has. And for that reason, it makes sense why guys like me and Nico and other people are looking at this going, nobody cares, nobody feels bad for you, quit crying and go do your job. I mean, did you forget how awesome your life is? Because I didn't. And I'm not complaining. I don't, that, that's kind of the point. I don't mind my life either. It's kind of cool. Definitely not rich. But I got a nice place in a nice part of town. Good family, couple cars that drive. A job I like. It's all good. I don't know. But again, this is why I'd like to move on. Because this is silly. I don't care about Jennings. I don't care about Finley. So after today, because I said I wanted to move on and then I kind of spent an entire day talking about it, I'll just say, I don't know. I'm not going to guarantee I won't because, you know, if you ask me a question, I'm going to want to answer it. But let's try to keep the questions and comments focused on the future if we can from now on, at least for a couple days, because I'm just so tired of it. Anyways, uh, we're going to take a little, I guess, intermission, and I want to just give my thoughts on uh, the running backs in this year's draft class. So I spent a little bit of time watching some of these guys because I'm trying to form some opinions on the running backs. And as I've said, I've got my my uh, positional rankings. I've tweaked a couple things, but um, so far at the top, I've got uh, Daryl Henderson, Darwin Thompson, Josh Jacobs, David Montgomery. Those are the top four. But I watched Daryl Henderson, I watched Josh Jacobs, I watched David Montgomery, and I've got several people that really like Justice Hill, so I watched Justice Hill. Those are the four I spent quite a bit of time. Uh, I spent about an hour watching those four guys, I think three games each, two to three. I can say pretty confidently that Josh Jacobs and David Montgomery are better than Daryl Henderson and Justice Hill, at least in my opinion. And I can also say that for me, David Montgomery is my Taylor Rapp. If you listen to me before, I talked about how I understand the limitations to Taylor Rapp, but there's just something about him that just feels special. There's something about him that just gets me fired up, that gets me jacked up, that I forget that I'm on a treadmill and I want to go home and my legs hurt and I'm hungry. Like, I'm just, I just want to keep watching the guy. I think I watched... Th- probably three games, and I wanted to watch a fourth, and it was like, wait a minute, I watched three already? Because it just flew by. So I, I think, first of all, looking at Justice Hill, I understand why some people are really excited about him. He's he's absolutely a home run hitter from anywhere. When he has a hole, he flies through there so fast, and it's like every single time you just think, man, this could be the one. The problem is there just almost never was the one. I really did not like his decision-making. There were so many times I just, like threw my head down like why didn't you just go to the right or why did it take you so long to figure out to go this way or that way if you look at his big plays almost every single one of them he's got a clean hole the biggest problem is I don't think he makes really good decisions and he goes down on first contact because he's a pretty small guy so I don't I'm not opposed to getting Justice Hill because you understand what kind of a weapon we're getting I think he can be good in space in the passing game although I don't think they utilized him enough maybe with a little bit better coaching you know, getting him to see things a little bit better. Maybe the outside zone would be better for him as opposed to kind of work in the middle so much. Getting him outside, getting him a little bit more space. Maybe he can do a little bit more damage. But I think that's sort of my thought on Justice Hill. Very electrifying, very scary. And and another thing that I think is really important, with a guy that's that fast, the the other thing I noticed is with him, if he starts moving, the linebacker's got to book it instantly because he's just got so much speed. If you're a linebacker and you see him even flinch to one side, you better start sprinting over there because he's just going to beat you to the outside. I think for a guy like LaFleur who's going to be using motion and misdirection to try to get linebackers going the wrong way, Justice Hill is the kind of guy that can absolutely just dominate linebackers. 
right? I mean, just think about two running back sets. If you've got Justice Hill and he starts sprinting to one side of the field, that linebacker's gone. And if he doesn't go, you've got the option to throw it to him because the linebacker's like, nope, I'm staying here. Okay, cool. Throw it to him. Now the linebacker definitely isn't going to get there in time. So it's going to be up to a safety coming up from the top or from a cornerback making a play. And, we, you know, we got to have wide receivers hopefully able to block or whatever. But that could be really beneficial because he's so fast, he has to be accounted for. It's just one of those things where even if he's not that good, you have to be on your toes. So I like him, but I think the limitations, whereas the Packers look for versatility as well as the size, whereas the Packers have talked about bigger guys are going to be more reliable and not as injury-prone in Justice Hill. I mean, he just looks tiny. Daryl Henderson is what I'm going to affectionately refer to now as a spreadsheet guy because I, you know, All his numbers just are great, which is why he's number one on my list of running backs. Watching him, though, I just, I didn't get that feel. There was some stuff that was really awesome. I think the biggest problem I have with him is I don't know, and I should look at what his three cone was. That's interesting. He didn't run a three cone. There's a note here. I don't know what any of this means. It says no workout leg on uh, draft scout. Maybe he got hurt. I don't know. The the biggest problem I had with him is his change of direction is kind of terrible. One thing that I noticed, and this is the big reason why I did not like um, Dalvin Cook, the Vikings running back, if you watch him, if he's running to the sideline and decides to cut up field, which is number one, probably most important thing, is your ability to change direction. Because again, in a zone blocking, all you're doing is running laterally, and then you're boom, you need to get up field. With a lot of guys, they have to almost, you know, you do a stutter step, slow down, change direction, and then accelerate through the hole. That's not good enough, man. And Daryl Henderson does that. You need to be able to, as you're going, stick one foot in the ground and sprint up as though it's one motion. I think Christian McCaffrey did that better than anyone I've ever seen. It was like a human joystick. He just, he didn't have to slow down. He just, if he wanted to go left, he went left. He wanted to go right, he went right, forward, backwards, anywhere he wanted to go. And he didn't lose any speed. It was like a video game. It wasn't even real. But that, that to me is, is big. If you have to slow down and use, you know, two, three, four steps to be able to change direction, that's a problem. Now, he's nowhere near as bad as Dalvin Cook, but I was just curious what his three cone was because I remember saying this about Dalvin Cook because he was he was literally so bad he would fall over. There was, I, I made a highlight reel. It's probably still on Packernet. I literally went out and made a highlight reel of all the times he fell over just trying to move because his feet were like stone. And I got into arguments with people about, I don't get why he's so good. The guy can't even move. And they're like, what are you talking about? He's so agile and all this stuff. And then he runs one of the worst three cones in running back history. And it's like, I told you. But just go watch him. I I really think that that's problematic. And I know his stats are really, really good. And um, he can look explosive and and do some really good stuff. I I like him as far as his decision-making and his lateral ability. Once he's moving forward, like that one cut to kind of move this way or that way, I do like that a little bit more. But it's nowhere near on the level of David Montgomery and Josh Jacobs. Their shiftiness in small spaces is incredibly important because that's that's really the biggest thing. Somebody was just talking yesterday, I was listening, and they were talking about maybe one of the reasons, I think it was the Roto World podcast, one of the reasons maybe that running backs aren't as valued is because what they need to do is in such a small space. You know, if you think about wide receivers, the amount of ground they have to cover, the amount, just the different kinds of routes they have to run and all the different complex things. For a running back, it's a matter of, you know, I need you to go from getting us one yard to three yards. And, the, the you know, the, the 
the acceleration is so important because that's, you know, a guy like Justice Hill can get you an extra three yards if there's a gap there because he can get there before it closes. So acceleration bursts through the hole. You know, that agility, again, if we're doing zone, especially outside zone, you're running to the sideline. You then have to, at some point, when you see an opening, you have to be able to change direction and sprint upfield. The amount of time it takes, and we're talking about fractions of a second, the amount of time it takes to do that makes a big difference. But then also, once you're there, what are you doing? You know, once you get to that next level and there's linebackers and safeties, what decisions are you making? Because if you're going the right way or the wrong way, that makes a difference between being a three-carry, three-yard per carry, four-yard per carry guy to a six-yard per carry guy like Aaron Jones. And when I see David Montgomery, the reason I get so excited is because, first of all, I love his vision. I love his ability to just turn nothing into something. Very quick in his cuts, not Christian McCaffrey quick, but it's just it's one cut and go. He runs laterally, and when he decides it's time to go, he just goes. In small spaces, if there's a linebacker, boom, he's, he's off to the side and going again. He's very strong, and in terms of just making something out of nothing, it's almost every play, it's like, oh, there's nothing there, and he makes something out of it. It just it's a, He's a different kind of player than Aaron Jones, but he just gives you that feeling. Like, he's just, he's special. It's the only way I can put it. He just, there's just, he just makes it work. But also, again, if you just look at the little things, like his ability to, to cut, the ability to make good decisions, right decisions at the right time, it seems like it shouldn't work, and it seems like it's magic, and it seems like it's a fluke, but he keeps making these flukes happen. And that's just a sign of somebody that's just really refined in their craft. So I'm, I'm not even saying he's as good as Josh Jacobs. I think, you know, it's, it's kind of 1A, 1B in my mind. Maybe he's better. I think Josh Jacobs has a little bit more explosive ability. He's a little bit quicker. He's a little bit more shifty. But I don't know what it is, man. It's the same thing I'll say about safeties. I can't definitively say Taylor Rapp is the best safety. I know he's got some limitations, but he gets me excited. And that's how I felt about David Montgomery when I was watching. Josh Jacobs, awesome. And I and listen, all this is probably a moot point because I think Josh Jacobs has gone late first, early second. I don't know that uh, – I don't think uh, Montgomery's making it out of the second round either. We'll see. And I don't think the Packers will or should get him. But I'm just I, – I, when I was looking at it, that's what I saw. And those are just a couple notes that I had. We'll see how far guys fall. If uh, if Montgomery makes it to our third pick, as much as I think that that's kind of a, a pretty high pick, I don't know that I hate that. Especially when you take into consideration, first of all, again, the importance of the running back position and how concerned are the Packers about Aaron Jones' history with injuries. If they're not all that concerned, then maybe we just need another guy. If they are concerned, we kind of have to look at this team as Jamal Williams is our running back. If we looked at it as Jamal Williams is our running back, I don't think anybody would have a problem taking a running back in the third round. So again, it'll be interesting, and I know we're not really targeting players or positions, and guys, you know, we'll just take whoever's there. But I also think if we had a stacked running back room, we're just not touching one, no matter how good the value is. So it'll still be a little bit interesting to see uh, what the Packers end up doing because we don't talk about running back all that much, even though we acknowledge we got to get one in the draft. We just, well, I guess we don't have to. We can play that game where we get undrafted free agents and we keep picking up these random guys like Capri Bibbs, who I like, by the way. But I think it would behoove us at least to take another flyer on like a fifth, sixth round guy or something. But anyways, I got to leave it at that. I didn't realize what time it is. This is not a good situation. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Uh, bye bye